Please stand for the reading of God's word. First Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is the word of God. Good morning, family. I think Reed's prayer was very appropriate for this morning. I got to get my stool. It's an anniversary Sunday. I got to sit on a stool today. You know how this works. I uh, bring you greetings. Uh, John Mark is not with us this morning because uh, he is speaking at Antioch Church in Norman particularly about the role of um, the church in a post-Christian society, post-Christian West. So I encourage you to go on their website, grab that sermon this week and listen to it. I'm sure it's going to be beautiful and um, God's going to move. So we'll pray for him as he's there. And this morning, I am excited to talk with you about this anniversary celebration, to commemorate this with you. Um, This is nine years, y'all. Today, we walk into year 10 of Christ Community Church. Some of you, this is your first Sunday to ever be at Christ Community Church, and we say welcome. We're so glad you're here. Some of you, you've been here since day one, and we say welcome. It's so good to see you again. You've matured. And there's a little bit, probably more gray in your hair, at least one. And uh, but it's good to see you. Last week we had a conversation about celebration. For those of you who were here, and we talked about the importance of celebrating God's saving act of deliverance in our life. I hope you were able to go home last week resting, resting in God's faithfulness, rejoicing in God's provision, deciding to institute in your own personal life and in your family's life commemorations of God's faithfulness. This is one of those things that we have in our calendar. Every year we celebrate Christmas together, the incarnation of Jesus, in which the eternal Son of God became flesh and came and lived among us. We celebrate Easter, the time in which Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, died on the cross for our sins and then rose again, defeating death, giving us victory over the grave, and we celebrate that on Easter. And then Pentecost, which we'll celebrate next Sunday, in which God sends his spirit to indwell the hearts of everybody who's trusted in Jesus to help them grow and be sanctified in his love and his grace and his joy and his hope. And our anniversary is another opportunity for us to celebrate God's faithfulness. So the title of today's sermon is simply in. Everybody say in. Now, if you've been around Christ Community Church for a while, you know what in means. But for those of you who don't, who haven't, I'm going to explain it just a little bit. So there are three orientations we talk about when it comes to life. Those three orientations are up. Everybody say up. In. Everybody say in. And out. Everybody say out. Now, as human beings, we were born with an orientation towards sin and toward disobedience to God. 
We were born with an orientation that is away from God. We were born wanting to serve ourselves, to get what we want, when we want, for ourselves. But just because we were oriented away from God doesn't mean that God was oriented away from us. In fact, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was toward us even when we were away from him. And that love, the love of God toward us, is the love in which the eternal Son of God became flesh. That is the love toward us in which Jesus went to the cross to bear our sin and then rose victorious over the grave. The love of God toward us is what we celebrate when we celebrate uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's people. The love of God toward us is what fills our hearts with love for God. So our love for God is a response to God's love toward us. And when we turn from our sins, our own way to trust in Jesus, to go toward him, he gives us a new orientation to life. A new orientation to what is coming next. A new orientation to our past, our present, and our future. And that orientation looks like up and and out. And so that means that we are meant to live life up, oriented toward God, to have communion with God, to, to live in light of his mercy, live in light of the hope that he gives us, live in light of Jesus's past coming and his future coming, to live in light of the cross of Jesus. That's life of up, life of worship. But it's also a life that is in a life that in which we now have a new community in which to live this life. God, when he calls us up, doesn't just call us up to be by ourselves. He calls us up to be with a new family. Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father, which art in heaven. If you are in Christ, that means that we are family. To embrace God means to embrace God's people. Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. He calls us a body. He calls us a building, being built together. Jesus calls us in. But he also calls us out. Before Jesus ascended and went into heaven and sat down at the right hand of, of, the, of God the Father, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He called us to go out, to live in such a way in which all that we're doing is telling the gospel, telling the good news of what Jesus has done, and going to invite more people into the family of God, inviting them to grow in the freedom and the wisdom of God, to live in the power of his Holy Spirit. So God called us to do up, everybody say up. To do in, everybody say in. To do out, everybody say out. And last year, we celebrated God's faithfulness in allowing us to send both 15 people to Norman, Norman, to go and take the gospel into new communities there and reach the unreached, but also to send to the nations, to send, to send one team to join a team in, in the uh, Middle East and send another team to go to the Middle East. And so we are celebrating and continue to celebrate God's inclusion of us in his out. But today, as the pastors, John Mark Reed and I have been praying about what kind of this next year should look like, what we should celebrate this year, we really want to focus on, on in. In. I think this year is the year in which in is going to be crucial. 
a lot of us are limping into year 10. Some of us are celebrating into year 10. This year has seen two of our family members have fathers that passed away. This year we've had surrogate grandfathers and grandmothers pass away. As late as yesterday, one of our 10-year-olds died in a car accident, crushed in the back seat of a car. Some of us are limping into year 10. Some of us, as we mourn with those who are mourning, just finished their master's degree. Some just finished their step study, step one of medical school. We have two brand new marriages in our congregation. Well, three or four. Two in the last, like, month. Keep, yeah, keep going, keep going, keep bringing them. So we are both mourning into year 10 and we are rejoicing into year 10. Amen? And so it is, it is crucial for us at this place in the life of our church to learn how to do that together. We got to mourn together. We got to comfort each other. We got to rejoice together. We got to celebrate together. Because we're family. And if we're family, that means that we belong to each other, which means that when you're mourning, I'm mourning. When you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. Because we belong to each other. So I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, I belong to you. And then tell him, you belong to me. That's the truth. That's the truth. We belong to each other. Now, I want to talk about what this end looks like. You've got a, a, a verse printed in your bulletin. It's a verse that's been really important to me. Before I came on staff in 2015, I came on staff in July. Well, before that, in, in March, I was at Glen Airy, Colorado, <clears throat> at the Glen. And I had just committed to come on staff with the church. And John Mark and I had our first staff conversation. I wasn't staff yet. We had our first staff conversation. And in that staff conversation, he shared this verse with me, 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So this is going to be our paradigm for how, this, how our relationship works and how the relationships in the church work, is how this works. Um, now, this was a new season for John Mark and I because we had been friends and we had planted Christ Community Church together. But now we were becoming staff together. And for some of y'all, a lot of y'all in this congregation, you know how to wear different hats. On Saturday, you're friends. On Monday, you're co-laborers out in the community. On Tuesday, you're co-workers in the same school. So we know how to wear different hats. And so for JM and I, it meant we're going from not just brothers, but friends, not just friends, but now staff members, now he's my boss, but we're also co-equals. And we've got to figure out how to do this thing. And it's going to look like unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And I would submit to you that this is the paradigm for all of our relationships. And I'm going to back that up in just a little bit. 
of why I think that's true. I think Peter says it's true. So I think it's true for us. It's important to put this text in its context. Peter is writing 1 Peter to the diaspora. It means those that have been scattered. So if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, Peter is writing this text to those that are scattered in Asia Minor, specifically in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles. He's giving them a theological framework to think about what does life look like when you're living in a place that is hostile to the faith that you preach and the faith that you believe. How do you live? How do you be faithful in a land that is not your home? How do you endure suffering as a servant of Christ? How do you act justly when you've been treated unjustly? Now, I think that might be somewhat relevant for our time, and it will become increasingly important for our time. Go listen to John Mark's sermon after this if you want to hear why. But it's important for us to know how to live in this time. Peter, by the time he gets to chapter 3, has just finished talking about what it looks like for servants and laborers to stand up for justice in the midst of a situation that is holding them down and keeping them, um, treating them unjustly. And he's going to say, we're going to follow after the model of Jesus Christ who endured suffering even when he suffered unjustly. He has just finished talking in the beginning of chapter 3 about, he's talking to wives who have been in situations in their family in which their husbands are unbelievers. And how do I act justly in a situation in which I've been treated unjustly? He's just told husbands who, to whom the society is told, hey, treat your wife however you want to. And he's saying, no, don't treat them like that. You treat them as co-heirs with Jesus or co-heirs with you in Christ. People who have the same inheritance with you. And in fact, if you don't treat them like that, your prayers are going to be hindered. He's saying, here's how you live in the workplace. Here's how you live in the family. And now he's going to say, not just to y'all servants, not just to y'all wives, not just to y'all husbands, but Finally, all of you. Look at the, 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 the second three words in this, in this verse. Finally, all of you. All of you. This is everyone. This is for the young and the old. This is for the male and the female. This is for the mother and the daughter, the son and the father. This is for the Democrat and the Republican. This is for the immigrant and the citizen. This is for the rich and the poor. This is for the ethnically minority and ethnically ethnically majority. This is for all y'all. All y'all need to hear this. Now, what is it that you can say to everyone, and it's going to be important for everyone to take to heart? There's not many things we can say today, especially that are coming in our political arena. You can say to everyone, it's going to apply to everybody universally. But this is something you can take wherever you are, because every Christian is an exile in the world. None of us are at home here. All of us have our home in another world. A world that is coming, but has not yet arrived. This word is for every single Christian. And what does Peter say? He says, do in. Everybody say in. Do in. Now, how do you do in? Well, that's what he's going to unpack in chapter 3, verse 8. And I want to unpack those together. Now, as we talk, I'm going to give some time to speak about these, these elements of what it looks like to do in. But then I'm going to allow you to hear from some other voices that are going to 
more richly explain what we're talking about. So the first orientation, the first thing we're called to is for an inward orientation in our mind, in our mind. Everybody point to your mind, point to your, your mind all in this area up in here, this area. Look at the first and last elements in our list. You see unity of mind. And the last one you see a humble mind This is the mind. Now, in first Corinthians 216, Paul tells us that if we are Christians, we now have the mind of who? Christ, the mind of Christ. We no longer think just thoughts we would think on our own. We are called to be transformed, Romans 12, by the renewing of our mind. We are to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10. Our minds are the battlefield on which the culture war takes place. And the gospel frees us to change our pattern of thinking. And that new change is oriented toward unity and toward humility. Unity and humility. In the gospel, I no longer have to be absorbed in myself or in my needs. Remember Matthew 6? What does he say? He says, don't go chasing after what you will eat. Don't go chasing after what you will wear because your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So I am now freed to change my pattern of thinking, which has been self-oriented, and I am now able to consider, consider with my mind other people instead of myself. I'm free from the confinement of selfish ambition. I'm free from the confinement of conceit. I'm free to live in humility. Now, we know if you spend any time with anybody, you know that doesn't come naturally. I was the most selfless person I knew. Before I put this ring on my finger. And then I recognized that my preferences were actually windows into my selfishness. Now, it's not bad to have preferences. But if you can't give those preferences up, now you've got idolatry. And what God calls us to is to an up-orientation that has... One master, and therefore my preferences no longer rule me, no longer have my, have control of me. Now I am free to seek the good of other people. I'm free to pursue a unity of mind and a humility of mind that goes beyond myself. Now, unity of mind doesn't come through just passive agreement with everything that my friend and my pastor says. Unity of mind comes sometimes through years of processing conversations and contending for the truth. Unity of mind comes through contending for the truth on a day-to-day, year-to-year basis. Because I know and I have hope that if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that this struggle for truth will end in peace. Because Jesus is both my peace and my truth. You with me? We can do this. We can contend with each other. We can strive for unity of mind because the same mind that's in you is in me. The same mind that is in me is in you. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This means that we can have unity of mind. If I think everything I think is right, then I won't be open to unity of mind. 
But James chapter 3 tells us that godly wisdom is open to reason. If I'm not humble, I'm never going to consider your point of view. I'm never going to consider what you think. And this kind of humility, though, from what one New Testament scholar points out, springs from an awareness of our creatureliness and our dependence on the Creator. See, if I recognize that only God is sovereign, that He is the Creator of all things, big and small, and if I recognize that I am a creature, that means contingent, that means dependent, that means, de- that means not self-sustaining, that means that I may not be right all the time. It be hard for you to believe, but I may not always be right. And that will open me, open me to a humility of mind to pursue unity of mind. If I recognize God's sovereignty and supremacy over all things, including my own life, I am freed to have a humble mind toward anyone, even those I would deem less competent than me. God calls us to do in with a mind that is directed toward unity and toward humility. But that can only come as I walk in dependency on Jesus, who frees me to have the mind of Christ. Now, when we experience the freedom of humility and unity, doing in is an outflow of that freedom. Now, I want you to listen to what Joanna Beasley says about this. Joanna was part of the church plant that we sent down to Norman about a year and a half ago. And I've asked her to talk about what does it look like? What did you learn about how to do in from your time spent with Christ's community? So if you would, give some attention to the screen where you'll hear Joanna speak. We might work on that volume a little bit. As you can see, a lot like whenever I wasn't able to make Brock Creek, getting a phone call from multiple people from the team to make sure that I was okay. Can you back that up to the beginning for a second? Hi, fam. When thinking about the concept of and especially pertaining to my life at Christ Community Church, the phrase that keeps coming into my mind is gracious perseverance. And that looked a lot like whenever I wasn't able to make Brock Creek getting a phone call from multiple people from the team to make sure that I was okay. It also looked like whenever people in the community were going through a hard time, spending that extra amount of time so that people knew that they were loved and that they were seen and that they were cared for. It looked like being present in in people's everyday lives. It looked like in the good times and the bad, pressing in together. I can tell you that even though it's, it sometimes is really hard, I can tell you from personal experience that it makes all the difference in the world. I love you guys. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. I know that might have been a little bit difficult to hear, but I'll kind of reemphasize some points that she made. One thing that she said was, when I think about in, I think the word that comes to my mind is gracious perseverance. Gracious perseverance. And she talked about how when she didn't show up to growth group, people would call to see how she was doing. When she was having a hard time, she would press into community. When people were having a hard time, she would press into their lives. She would check in on them, give them extra time, be present, press in together. The only way I can do that, the only way I can, I can care about what you feel, the only way I can spend that time to persevere with you in grace is if I know if I am submitted to 
if I am humble before the mind of Christ in me, which says that your needs are more important than my needs, right? So what Joanna's talking about is a mindset shift that says I'm going to seek in, not in me, but in us, which is what God calls us to. So God calls us to an inward orientation of the mind, but not just of the mind. He calls us to an inward orientation of the heart. Look at the second, second word in your list. That word is sympathy. Sympathy. Sympathy is the ability to identify with and enter into the pain and the sufferings of others. Sympathy is the opposite of self-absorption. Sympathy is to be able to vicariously suffer with those who are other than me. This is sympathy. The second to last word in your, in your verse, tender heart, is a word that some translations translate compassionate. This is the word that we read about when we see the good Samaritan. And it says that when he passed by the man who was suffering, he took pity on him. This is the word we hear when the prodigal son comes back and his father is filled with compassion. This is the word that we see when Jesus has gone off to be with his disciples and he goes across the lake and he gets across the lake and he sees a crowd coming toward him and he is filled with compassion for them. He is moved in his bowels. What the gospel frees us to is to not the solitude of suffering just for myself, but for the community of suffering on behalf of other people, the suffering with them, to demonstrating compassion for them. This is what we read about when we read in Second Corinthians chapter 1. When Paul writes this prayer, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is the idea of coming together to suffer with each other. This is what true compassion looks like. Now, I've asked a couple more people to share with us on this idea of, of in, and what they talk about is compassion. This might be a little bit louder for you, so I want to introduce this, this couple, and then I want you to hear from them. You're going to hear from Jordan and Tina Belt. Jordan and Tina uh, were sent about a year ago, over to the Middle East, and they've been serving faithfully. Some of you guys have gotten incredible reports about people coming to Christ and being discipled, and, and we're excited about the work that's going on there, but we asked them to share the same, answer the same question of, what did you learn about in from your time with Christ Community Church? I want you to hear what they say about in. Good morning, Christ Community. Uh, this is Jordan Belts and Tina Belts here in the Middle East, and uh, we are very excited as you guys are celebrating your ninth anniversary um, to have been a part of many of those early years and to be sent by you here to love people uh, and to love our neighbors and uh, share the name of Jesus with others. So we were asked to um, share how Christ community impacted um, the way that we do in, and we want to share a little bit about that with you. One of the biggest things that we learned at Christ Community Church was looking at relationships um, 
as in regards to time, not just time spent together, but longitudinally and thinking about those relationships as being we're in this for the long haul. And so um, that means I care very deeply about your development as a believer. That means I care very deeply about speaking the truth in love because I want to see us grow together and get to this place that God has for us. And that requires a lot of persevering hope, not just for ourselves as individuals, but for the people that we love. Um, Sometimes the grace that we so easily extend to our neighbors or strangers or acquaintances, we withhold from those that are closest to us. And that's one of the biggest things that we required doing the discipleship house, doing the discipleship meetings, um, being in close relationships with so many of you that we love and miss so dearly now. Like Julian, like Aaron John, John Pope, of course the guys and uh, families that we planted the church with, the uh, hearts, uh, A-Bears, uh, the Shilohs, um, that we just, we were able to see in very well. We were discipled in how to do in well. Um, and one of the means of grace God gives us to know how to, I felt like during those years, uh, as, as well as his word that showed us in Ephesians and many other uh, books of how to do in, his spirit to empower us to do it. It's just the means of grace of his community, people around us that were God was using in ways that helped shape us and to, to make us uh, closer followers of Christ. So we're really thankful for them. I know Tina could list off probably 10 or 15 women throughout those years that taught her in. Um, the verse that really sticks out to me is in Ephesians when it says that we were brought to, um, by the blood of Christ. We were, we were far off, but we were brought near together. And um, I'm really an eager evangelist. Um, I come from a, a college ministry background that really uh, emphasized and celebrated evangelism, which I, I think that's the out portion that we should always get. Um, but sometimes I would miss what I think God was trying to teach me uh, was that the inward portion of discipleship, as Tina was describing, is this long journey with one another to become more like Christ. And so it's not one or other. It's not competing. It's complementing each other so that we can be found whole in him. And uh, I'm just thankful. Those are some of the ways that y'all have blessed us and supported us, encouraged us, and hope y'all have a great going into your 10th year and many more to come. And we'll see you soon. Love you guys. When Jordan says, we'll see you soon, he means July. So they'll be here for about 10 days in July. So get ready for that. It's going to be fun. Isn't that good what they're sharing? Right? This is not just a sharing together, giving time today. But this is a longitudinal time. This is a persistence in showing grace to one another. I love what Tina shared specifically with regard to showing grace. I think if you're like me, if you, whether moved into South Oklahoma City or you grew up in South Oklahoma City or some other way you got here, it can be sometimes easy to have sympathy or a tender heart toward those outside of the community. You see somebody in desperate need and you have pity on them. But sometimes it can be more difficult to do that with people that are really, really, really familiar to you. People that you've lived life with, people that you've roomed with, people that you have dated. It can be difficult sometimes to have sympathy for them or to maintain a tender heart toward them. To maintain that kind of 
emotional rising up from the gut that says, I, I'm, I feel what you feel and I am committed to that in you. But what Tina said was that sometimes we need to show grace, not just to strangers, but to those that are the closest to us. We can be the harshest to our families, right? And we can be the harshest to our family. You with me? But what what Peter's calling us to, what the Holy Spirit's calling us to, is to a continual renewal in the gospel of Jesus that frees me to a sensitivity to my neighbor's need so that I can keep having soft skin and a soft heart toward even the one that I'm really familiar with. And I know how they got into this issue, but yet I'm still going to have compassion toward them. You feel me? Because that's what Jesus did with us. What's the motivation toward having this kind of a, a sympathy to others that are, are familiar to us? What's the motivation to having this kind of a movement in the bowels? Not just for those that are strangers coming with evident needs, but for those that are sitting right next to us. It is that Jesus knew us before we were born and yet still had this kind of compassion toward us. Right? We learn this sympathy from Jesus. One scholar says it this way. He says, to share in the sufferings of others is both the cause and the effect of Christian unity. To share in the sufferings of others is both the cause of Christian unity and the effect of Christian unity. How is sharing in the sufferings of others the cause of Christian unity? Well, I think the preeminent way is that Jesus Christ entered into our suffering. Jesus Christ's participation in our sufferings is the cause of our unity. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we have yet, without sin. I've been playing Frisbee with some guys downtown. I love playing Frisbee. It's a great time. We throw the disc, we receive, we retrieve the disc. We make great plays, and we don't. But I'll tell you this. Halfway through playing Ultimate Frisbee, I start walking. You know why I start walking? Because I'm tired. I'm tired. So I start walking. I walk from this end of the field to that end of the field. I might get one or two sprints out just to make sure they know I still got something in my tank. But I'm going to be walking some of that time. I don't fully understand what it means to run through an hour of playing ultimate frisbee. I should know what it means to run for three or four hours in a marathon. I don't understand what it takes to do that because I've never finished My hour running straight through. You don't know what it takes to finish unless you've endured the whole thing. Jesus Christ is the only one who has endured temptation, not until he gave in, but until death. He's the only one who has fully taken on what our suffering looks like because he endured it through the cross to victory over the grave. He's the only one who has been tempted as we have, yet without sin. So he's the only one who has experienced what it means to suffer all the way through, to to endure temptation all the way through, because he himself has been tempted He can help those who are being tempted because he's been tempted all the way through and not given in. Jesus Christ is the cause of our unity because he paid for it. He bought it. He died to make us one. Jesus prayed in the garden. I pray they may be one, that they may experience the unity that the Father has with the Son in the unity of the Holy Trinity.
So Jesus is Christ entering into our suffering. His incarnation is the cause of our unity. But sharing in the sufferings of others is also the effect of our unity. Peter's going to go on in chapter 5 to say, resist him, resist Satan, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering we are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, what being one in Christ means is that if they're suffering in Cuba, they're suffering here. If I'm suffering in, in the Middle East, I'm suffering here. If you got an issue, I got an issue. Even if you're a different ethnicity than me, even if you're a different gender than me, if you got an issue, I got an issue. If you got rich people problems, then poor people got those problems. If you got poor person problems, then the rich people in your congregation got those problems too. Your problem is my problem because we suffer together. It is the effect of our unity that we suffer together. We don't do this alone. We do this together because like Jordan said, community is our means of grace. We are now one. So doing in means we are, we have an orientation, inward orientation in our minds, inward orientation in our hearts, but also an inward orientation in our identity. Look at the central word in this text, and it is brotherly love. Brotherly love. This is the word Philadelphia, right? Love for my brother. When God calls you to himself, he doesn't just call you to himself, he calls you to one another. You and I are family. And that means that we have the same father. It means that we are heirs with Christ. It means we have been adopted into the family of God. That's what this means. Which means that, which I hope you've heard this as kind of a trend, is that we have a long-term commitment to one another. I want you to hear one more voice, and that is William Gaskins, who's sitting in the back. And I want you to hear what he says about what he's learned about doing in, in our community. Howdy, Christ Community fam. It's uh, Will and Saoirse. Um, uh, I got the pleasure of being able to give a brief message uh, this anniversary morning to kind of talk about um, how Christ Community Church has helped me to understand the concept of in. And I'd say one of the biggest ways um, has just been when I first came to Christ Community Church, um, I was really well received. I feel like a lot of people here um, formed really strong bonds of friendship around me. And over time, as they learned about all my sins and my selfishness and all this stuff, those bonds didn't break, but they actually got stronger. And so over time, I feel like um, you learn a lot more about in just from the commitment of staying in a community um, that's just full of love and grace like Christ Community Church. So um, I guess I'd say my biggest takeaway for in is that um, commitment, uh, commitment over everything, commitment over um, uh, really cool people, really perfect people, really self-righteous people. Just commitment seems to um, be the secret sauce of living a lifestyle of it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Commitment. Everybody say commitment. Commitment, commitment is what Will's talking about. Is the commitment to each other. Commitment can't happen in the short term. I can say I'm committed to you, but if in five years I'm not really around, then I'm, maybe I wasn't really committed to you. The test of commitment is longevity, right? If we have been called to be family, that means we got the same blood. If we got the same blood, then we are family, not just for life, 
We are family in eternity if we're in Christ. This is a commitment to one another, a commitment that is long term, a commitment that perseveres. I hope you heard that in every single video. Somebody mentioned longevity, perseverance, commitment. This is not a short term thing. When Christ loved us, he loved us to the end. When we love each other, we love each other through thick, through thin, through difficulty, through ignorance. We love each other as brothers and sisters. I can't stop my twin sister from being my twin sister. I can't stop it from happening. We have the same mom and dad. I can't stop that. Nothing will take that away. Likewise, when we make a covenant together in the body of Christ, in our local community, we are committing to one another, saying that, hey, regardless of what you do, I'm going to work through it with you. Regardless of who you are, where you came from, if your background is like mine, we are now family, which means we are in this together. God is calling us to a brotherly love. And that is not, though it may sometimes feel like it, that is not a penalty. That is an opportunity to live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a reflection of the nature of God himself. God exists as Trinity, unity and diversity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one essence, three persons. And when we are invited into, into the being of Christ, we are invited into that fellowship which means that if, if I am in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father and, and you are in Jesus and you are in the Father, then we are in a bond that cannot be broken because it's a bond of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Which means that if I see you in sin, I'm going to go to you and talk to you about it. If you see me in sin, I expect you to. I'm going to receive it with grace, right? If I see you doing something that should be encouraged, I'm going to take the initiative to go and honor you and encourage you. If you see me doing the same thing, you're going to come and do it to me. I'm going to seek your good above mine because we're family. Because there's a brotherly love that binds us together as one family in God. Now, I want you to, to think about this idea of the inward orientation that we've been called to. What is God calling you to do differently in this next year? To practice in. To lean in. Not lean out when it gets hard, but to lean in. What is he calling you to do? Is there a relationship that needs to be mended before we walk into this 10th year? Is there a, a, a conversation that needs to happen? Is there someone you need to go and encourage? Do you need to make a friend? Do you need to start giving to your church? Do you need to sign that membership covenant? Do you need to re-up on the relation of values? One thing I've been thinking about is, as far as in, I'm about to go to a family reunion in July. And when I go to this family reunion, we have like 400 people come. Because this is like six generations of people. And when I go to this reunion, if I invite you, and you're new to the family then you're going to be recognized as not being from the family because we just know our family. And so it's then the family's job to invite you in and to be hospitable and to show you in. 
Now, how does that translate to Sunday morning? Well, if, if somebody's brand new and you're in, then it's, it's all of our responsibility to go up to them and to say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have eyes to see people if we're in, right? We're going to have eyes to invite people, out, uh, people from outside in if we're the ones that are in. We're going to be hospitable if we're in. Do you need to recommit to be tenderhearted to those people you've been passively familiar with? What is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to see this in? Because we've been freed to do it by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, there is a family tie that binds us together. So even if you don't feel in, you're in. You with me? Even when you don't feel in, you're in. So let's act like it. We're about to go to the Lord's table in which we're going to partake of the body and blood of Jesus, celebrating, commemorating his death and celebrating, waiting for his return. When we do this, the guys who serve this in the back, they're going to, they have a ceremony they go through. They don't really talk about the ceremony. What they're going to do is they're going to take some loaf of bread. It might be a tortilla. It might be some kind of really good kind of bread, but they're going to break that bread. But that bread all comes from, from a piece, one piece. They're going to break it. They're going to give you a part of it. Every single one of you who are in Christ are members of the same body. We belong to each other. We come from the same, the same loaf, which means we should be one. So as we take communion, let's remember that we've been called to do in together. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray.